Welcome to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast, a podcast all about leadership, change, and personal growth. The goal? To help you lead like never before in your church or in your business. And now, your host, Carrie Newhoff. Well, hey, everybody, and welcome to episode 157 of the podcast. My name is Carrie Newhoff, and I hope our time together today helps you lead like never before. And here we are. We are three years old today. It was three years ago uh, in 2014, remember then, where we kicked off with episode one with Andy Stanley. And uh, man, what a journey it has been. Almost 4.5 million downloads. You guys, this has so exceeded anything I had in my little brain uh, three years ago. And we've got this amazing community of listeners and leaders who have just come together from church world and the marketplace. And here we are. And I just want to say thank you. And you know how we celebrate around here, right? When we hit a milestone, who benefits? You do. So for the third anniversary, here's what we're doing starting today. We are giving away uh, the most Starbucks we have ever given away. Every single day for the next seven days, we're giving away Starbucks. And the way you can win is to follow me on social. So uh, we're giving them away randomly on three platforms that I frequent on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And then on any of those channels, randomly throughout the day, um, Starbucks gift cards are going to appear and we are loading them up with $100 each every single day. So when they appear, you if you happen to be at Starbucks, you know, you just go get your free latte or frappuccino or whatever you are in the mood for and have that one on us. So you kind of got to be ready. You can turn your notifications on on Facebook or on Instagram and, uh, you know, I hope you end up with uh, some good, good Starbucks in your body by the time this week is over. So the easiest way uh, to find me on those, those channels is just to search or uh, you can go to the show notes, which uh, is kerryneuhoff.com slash episode 157. Or to find my blog without learning how to spell my name, go to leadlikeneverbefore.com, click on blog, and you will see the show notes right there for the contest. So, hey, on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter, we are giving that away. And then we're doing one other thing too. We are giving away a free prize pack of all the resources I've ever published, my three books and my high impact leader course and my brand new course, which comes out next week called Breaking 200 Without Breaking You, all about breaking the barrier that most church leaders can't break. And the way you can win that prize pack, the way you can win every resource I've ever published is by going to the comments of today's show. So just go to the comments and tell us a little bit about why you would love that prize pack. Tell us about what you would do with the high impact leader, or maybe you have a small church, or maybe you've broken 200, but like you haven't broken 500. The course covers some of that too. Just tell us a little bit of your story, and then my team is going to pick a winner. So to win the Starbucks, all you have to do is follow me on social. To get the prize pack of everything I've ever published for free, um, just leave a comment in the show notes this week. And then next week, we're going to pick a winner. So you got seven days for that. So anyway, thanks for making this such an awesome journey. And we got, uh, I think, many more years ahead. So 
How's that? That sounds good. And uh, I got to tell you about a couple of things. First of all, I'm going to be on the road a lot this fall and really excited to meet with you. One of my favorite things to do is to hang out with leaders and listeners. So it sort of kicks off for me in Irvine, California at the Orange Tour. Really excited about that. And then uh, how many of you are going to the Orange Tour in Pittsburgh? You know what you need to do? You need to get in there a little bit earlier, or maybe you're not planning to be in Pittsburgh. Here's why you should be. There's an amazing event called the Future Forward conference. And I know a lot of you, you you lead churches that you're trying to turn around, and that can be hard. Well, in 2003, Amplify Church was an aging, dying church. It had shrunk from 1,000 to 200. The average age was over 50. Today, it's a church of 2,000, multiple locations, average age is 35, and they are getting together to talk with leaders about how to do that in your church. It's called the Future Forward Conference. You can go to futureforwardconference.com. Make sure you register. It's happening October the 24th through the 26th, right before the Orange Tour in the same venue as the Orange Tour. So that's going to be really exciting. Make sure you check that out, futureforwardconference.com. Also, here's a question for you. How are you training your volunteers this fall? Well, you got to jump on the bandwagon. Trainedup.church has been growing by just leaps and bounds this summer. They have like more than doubled in size in the last few months because church after church is jumping on board. And this month, they have got a discount for podcast listeners. You can go to trainedup.church and if you sign up, just use the promo code CAREY, C-A-R-E-Y, C-A-R-E-Y, and you'll get 10% off. All right. And that is an amazing offer. Uh, They allow you to train your volunteers online. And if you haven't checked out trainedup.church yet, please do so. Uh, You're going to want to head over and thank you to their partnership with us here at the podcast. Well, my guest today is none other than John Acuff. I think this is a three-peat for John, third time he's been on. And we talk about a fascinating thing. It's the day, today is the day, his book, his brand new book, Finish releases. And he shares some of the reasons why everybody starts, but very few people finish. And how do you actually finish what you start? That is a real problem in leadership and in life. And then I do a deep dive with John on the things that make him tick as a leader. How does he get it all done? How does he organize his time? Uh, John's become a friend, and it's just a great conversation with New York Times bestselling author, John Acuff. So here we go. Year three, episode 157, my conversation with John Acuff. John, welcome back. It's so great to have you. Yeah, thanks, Carrie. So um, excited for your new book, which releases today, and it's called Finish, which I guess will be your last book, right? Uh, Well, I mean, we'll see how this one sells. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's actually, I didn't mean it that way, but that could be a very mean author comment, couldn't it? So I guess this is your last book. It was, (laughs) no, not at all. It's my, it's my next book. So it's your next book. I might continue to write whether I continue to get published is, is out of my hands. (laughs) That's true. I love the title and I love the concept. I've had a chance to dive into it a little bit. Um, and your whole premise is everybody starts, right? But few people finish. Almost nobody finishes. Why, why is that? Well, I mean, I think it's a million reasons. But yeah, statistically, the University of Scranton did a study and 92% of resolutions fail. So only 8% succeed. And I think it's a million things. But I, I like to say that right now, we live in a world of bottomless opportunities and endless distractions. And so mm. what's exciting to me is It'd be like if if somebody said, hey, 
we're going to have a severe drought and you own all the water, will that be valuable to you? You'd go, it, it will be. So when yeah. I say, hey, nobody finishes, here's how you can finish. Like it's, it's such the perfect way to get a raise or build a platform or, you know, lead your family the way you want to lead, like because it's so rare. And that's what to me makes it really fun. Mm, you say that kind of perfectionism is the opposite of finish. How does that work? Well, I mean, I, I think th the challenge is that a lot of people grade their goals on a zero or 100 scale. So mm. either I got it perfectly done or I might as well have not started it. So a lot of times people say they, they don't understand that a perfectionist tends to have a messy car. And you go, that doesn't make any sense. I thought they are type A and anal retentive. They are, but the problem is unless they can clean it with a toothbrush level, they won't even start. So most <laughs> right. people aren't satisfied with 80 out of 100 or 70 out of 100. It's got to be all the way to the top. It's all, you know, I see this with people that'll tell me, I'm going to start running. I'll go, that's great. What are you going to do? And they go, I'm going to run a marathon. And I'll say, well, have you run a half marathon <laughs> or a 5K or a single K? Like, 1k and they go no 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 i gotta go to the top and then their goal is too big and they fail before they start and we tend to look at perfectionism as a quality versus a um form of destruction and that gets us twisted too yeah that's really true you know you get hit up with this all the time i do people who say man i want to write i want to get published and my number one question is what have you written and the number one answer is nothing I'm like, well, you're never going to get published, right? I think yeah, Batterson, Mark Batterson had like five or six unpublished manuscripts before his first book got oh, published. Man. Uh, yeah, that's, I mean, that's, that's, the, but that's the reality. That's the, like, I want to be a writer, then write a lot. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I this is my sixth book. I turned in 60,000 words. They gave me back 38,000, like 22,000 were edited out. Um, and so that's just part of it, like, to get to the quality, you have to go through the quantity. Yeah, yeah. Were you always a finisher? No, no way. Most of my life, right. I, like, no. I mean, that was, so somebody asked me about that. Um, they said, why'd you write this book? And I wrote it, I always tell people, like, especially nonfiction, find something people need help with. Um, mm. And find something you're curious about. You have to have both. If I just write it because I see a need, but I don't care, you can tell. Yeah. If I just write my curiosity, but there's no real need, like I've written about an obscure planet in the solar system and it sells seven copies. Right. But so what happened was I was a great starter, started a million things. I wrote a book about starting because I thought it was the most important thing. And all these people came up to me and said, no offense, I like your book, but I've never had a problem starting. I never actually finish or get to done. What does that take? And that was where I started to go, wow, my own life, you know took me three years to do six days of P90X or, you know, I know a lot of people who have treadmills in their garage that they now use to dry laundry on. Um, <laughs> in the nineties, it was Bowflex. In the nineties, people yeah. were like, I'm going to buy a Bowflex and like get ripped and like, and they didn't. And so I saw this great need. I saw this great curiosity in my own life. And I thought, okay. So for instance, like last year I read 10 books this year, I'll read 156. Like that's three books a week. Like, because I learned how to finish. And once you do, it's infectious. Like you keep going. So let's go there. Cause I'm not even sure. And we're friends, but I'm not sure. I believe your Instagram, like every three days you're publishing this. Like I finished another book or started yeah. another book. What's your secret? How are you getting through that? Like that is a ton of books. 
Yeah, and then part of it, I mean, I just, I feel like our, gen- this generation of people, and I mean, my age, your age, everybody's age. Yeah. I just mean like our world right now is really passionate and really uninformed. And that's really dangerous. Yep. Um, and so like today I bought a book, uh, The New Jim Crow, about like the industrialized prison system in America. Because uh, an wow. African-American pastor told me, you need to read that. So I might be outraged by that idea, but I'm not informed. Right, you don't know anything about it. Outraged and ignorant is wildly dangerous. And so I'm trying, like, so part of the book thing is getting more informed. But so I I came up with, um, like, if you go to acuff.me slash read, I had to eventually create a resource to say, here's how I'm doing it. So part of it is addressed and finished, but then it's a bigger conversation. So, like, one of the most important things is to be kind to yourself with the rules. If you want to read 100 books a year, don't like people. The problem is when you take on a goal, you uh, there's a lot of people that take on this false nobility where they go, right. it has to be difficult, it has to be hard. So they don't go, I'm going to read a bunch of books I like. They go, I'm going to read War and Peace, and then I'm going to read <laughs> The Brothers Karmazov, and then I'm going to like, and you just go, ugh. Like, yeah. it's okay for it to be a beach read. It's okay for it to be an audio book. Like, I listen to audio books, nonfiction. At 1.5 speed, because most audio books are slow. <laughs> True and that's that. not how I live my life. So a big part of it is being kind to yourself with the rules. People will say to me, oh, you read a Batman graphic novel? That doesn't count. And I always go, according to what? According yeah. to who? Like, whose standard <laughs> am I judging my personal reading by? Like, who's the jury on that? Like, screw that. Like, that's just yeah, not yeah. So that's a big part of it. Right. So, okay, but how, okay, so you're listening to some audiobooks at 1.5 speed. Um, but some of those books, I mean, I saw the Batman graphic novel. And by the yeah. way, John's a great follow on Instagram. If you're the only person on the planet who's not following him, you really should. But um, you're every couple of days, it's like, hey, next book, boom. And some of them are like they're two, 300 page autobiographies, they're sales books, they're, they're everything. So, I mean, do you actually, let's talk about your rules. Do you say like, if you get bored, you quit after chapter two? I don't quit. I don't quit. That's the first one. Cause if I do that, then the whole system kind of like falls apart. Right. right. So you got to so read the book to quite count. I select you have them to read carefully. It. I select right. them carefully. Okay. Like just cause somebody sent me a book doesn't mean I'm going to read it. Sure. Um, just cause somebody recommended a book doesn't mean I'm going to read it. I, I select them carefully. Um, and then, um, I read everything. Like I don't read the acknowledgements cause that's dumb. Like who cares right. that he's thanking his Butler? Like I don't like that's <laughs> on him. Um, but I read everything. I don't skim, uh, an entrepreneur I follow was like, I'll teach you the secret to read a book a day. And his secret was skim. And I was like, that's garbage. Like mm. that's like the secret to lose weight is don't ever eat. Like that's <laughs> stupid. But it works. Yeah. Yeah, it Um, works. But like part of it is that I also use multiple mediums. So I mentioned audio, but I also have Kindle. So like I did Kindle Unlimited. So I can go get a Seth Godin book for free and that I paid for Kindle Unlimited. Right. And if I'm, you know, stuck in a doctor's office, I'm not reading an old issue of golf. I'm I'm (laughs) going through a Seth Godin book. And I'm game like Kindle games it where it shows you the percent. Like that's really fun. Oh yeah, that is fun. I want to get five more percent and then you work that way. And so, and I'm not a huge TV guy um, and not out of judgment. Like I think there's a lot of people that like a lot of shows. That's awesome. Um, but it's not my passion. Um, but I'm still doing a pretty full work day and I'm still, you know, but it's just once you find books you like, it's really fun. And I have three going at a time, three to four. Okay. So you so, have three to four going at a time. So one on the nightstand, one in the living room, that kind of thing. 
Yeah, well, the reason you do that is that you won't always feel like a certain type of book at a certain time of day. Yeah. Like when I go to bed at night, I don't want to read the the new paradox of time, which is about time management. Like <laughs> right. that would be terrible. I want to read a magica, this weird sci-fi book. Um, you know, I always, you know, and, and they're of differing lengths. It's super mm-hmm. depressing to me and demoralizing if I have three 700 page books going. Like <laughs> yeah. I need like I need a 200 page one. I need a 150 page one. So I mix it up. But yeah, it's just once you start to do it and I like. I like making it public. There's all these studies that when you make your diet public and you share it online, you do better. So like I'm going to have so much fun knowing when I hit a hundred, I get to say on Instagram, this is a hundred books and it's August. Like I'm rushing this. Like that's really fun. So I'm really deliberate about it. So in terms of time investment, we're talking to a lot of busy people out there and you're, you're one of those guys. I mean, you, you speak, you write, you manage a blog, an email list, you have kids at home, the whole deal. It's not like you're retired sitting on your porch yeah. reading all day. How many hours a day would you say it's taking you to, to accomplish this? Are you reading an hour a day, three hours a day? Yeah, what, I'd what? say I'm reading like an hour a day or so. I mean, the thing you have to remember is that my kids are 11 and 13 or 11 right. and 14 now. So it's not fair to say to somebody who has toddlers, you should have the same life I have. You won't right. have the same shape. Um, the other thing is I travel. And so, mm-hmm. you know, I can, it, I always tell authors, walk down a plane aisle during a flight and count books versus video watching. Oh my gosh. And, and or movies. Be, like, yeah, or like movies. nobody's, nobody's reading, nobody's working on flights. It's everybody's just goofing off. So I have time on flights and maybe, maybe other people don't. Um, but I would argue the average person has a 30 to one hour minute lunch break every day. Now I'm not advocating you should read a book every one. Cause I think you should be with coworkers. I think you should network and connect, but I think we have a lot of times we have more time than we want to admit. We just don't yes. know where it's going. If somebody told me, John, I'm too busy. I'd go, well, show me your hour your half hour breakdown over the last week and they wouldn't be able to like they would they you know because it's the same but if you were trying to lose weight i would say show me what you eat and if you said i don't know then i'd say well then you're not serious about losing weight (laughs) yeah exactly Uh, that's a good point and and that's encouraging like an hour a day maybe 90 minutes a day i don't know anybody you know again and if you've got a screaming baby that's a different story than if your daughters are 11 and 13 well but here's the thing like i went to the gym this morning and right. it's 15 minutes away so at one and a half speed i got like 20 minutes each direction so i got 40 minutes of time in a book the sherlock holmes book today like, and that, yeah. it wasn't like, oh man, I really struggled, Carrie. It was so hard. I just didn't <laughs> listen to music. Like it was, right. it took two seconds. Um, when I jog audiobooks. now when I bike, I don't listen because I, I, I want to hear if I'm about to get run over. Yeah, um, that's a good idea. But I think there's more time in most people's weeks than like, the problem is we'd rather say we're busy because then we don't have to do it. If you admit yeah. you could find like. If you knew, you know, the average American watches 34 hours of TV a week. That's almost a full-time job. That's bananas. I, so when I, I people don't tell get that. me they're too busy, I'm like, get out of here. You're too busy. Yeah. And I think the time audit's a really good challenge. You know, that's sort of the idea behind the High Impact Leader course that, you know, your time is accounted for pre-decided. And if you just decide, you know, between 6 and 7 a.m. is my reading time or every time I'm at the gym, that's when audiobooks are at 1.5 speed. I know Craig Rochelle does that. He'll listen to books. Some people are, are great. I've heard from listeners who are like, I'll listen at 3x. I don't know how they do that. that no that way. Like, I'd give me a panic attack. 
I know it's like Mickey Mouse, right? That's what you're listening to. But hey, if you can do it and honestly, it doesn't bother you, more power to you. Okay, well, that's really helpful and challenging for me, too. I've read more books this year than I have in a while, but uh, that's an area that I I feel convicted about. Now, you have actual research behind this book, right, behind Finish. So you're finishing all these books. But um, tell us a little bit about the research because you hired someone to do a study, did you not? Yeah, that, that was probably my favorite part of this experience. Essentially, and I can't take credit for it, a researcher sure. approached me. So there's a, a guy, he's finishing his PhD, works for a university, says, hey, I like your stuff. I'd like to see if it actually works, which is intimidating because yeah. like prior to that, <laughs> I was operating under the whole internet, like say what you want and hope it's true. Like most books that are in the self-help nonfiction category have what people call narrative bias, which is mm-hmm. I had a personal experience, so it'll probably happen to you. And then what people do is they go back and invent steps that they really didn't take at the time. They just look for them later and go, oh, yeah, yeah, that's how that happened. Like, and so they end up creating something that's not honest. And so thanks for outing I, me. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah. So I said, hey, here's the deal. Like I teach this course on goal setting, study these people. So we study, you know, most course, most research projects have 100, 150 test subjects. We had nearly 900. We worked yeah. on it for six months. And so where I'm excited is it's the first time I can say it's personal. It's funny. It's my voice that people might like, might like and connect with, but it's also based in research. So now when I say you should try this thing, if somebody goes, no, I go, well then show me your research, like show yeah, me your yeah. six month project. I'd love to see. And 99% of people aren't like, they're not going to be able to do that. And so I don't know that I'll ever write another book without a deliberate level of research in it so that I can be as helpful as possible. No, that's a good point. Can you share, and I mean, I want people to buy the book, it's launch day, but um, can you share a little bit about one or two things you learned about the difference between people who start and people who finish? Yeah, so I had this idea that fun mattered, you know, that most people think fun is silly, whimsical, it's for artists and painters, but it doesn't apply to my life. And I work with a lot of companies. So I'll go talk at Microsoft or, you know, Comedy Central or wherever. And I wanted to see, does fun have a value? And the problem is most people, when they do a goal, they do something they don't like because they think the goal has to be difficult and miserable to count. So you meet somebody and go, I'm going to lose weight. How? I'm going to run. Well, do you like running? No, I hate it. That's why I know it's good for me. And you go, that's, and so we tested, if you make it fun, does it change your results? Um, and it, it has to be make it fun, not have fun. Have fun is like for the beach. Make it fun is right. how do I make budgeting this year fun? Like, is that like gamification or it's bigger than that? It's got a, an element of that, but it's big. Enough. Gamification yeah. is like one exercise of that. And okay. so when you measure goals, you study two things, your satisfaction level and your performance level. Satisfaction, right. how you felt. Performance, how you did. Now, a good principle raises both. If I only raise your satisfaction and not your performance, you're smiling all the way to last place. Right. If I only raise your performance but not your satisfaction, you're the miserable, successful people that we know plenty of. Right. And so we found if you make your goal fun, you're 31% more satisfied, which makes sense. It's like saying eating ice cream is fun. That's That one wasn't that interesting. What was shocking, and, and you know research, you're looking for a 5% edge, a 10% edge. We talked about that with biking. Like I just got new a new carbon fiber water bottle cage to cut 30 milligrams. Like 
most improvement <laughs> is micro, micro, micro. Yeah. So if you make your goal fun, you're 43% more successful, which is wow. flabbergasting. So again, like that's why it's a very speak softly, carry a big stick kind of book in that I feel super confident about going like, hey, 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 this isn't my emotion, my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Like here's what, and so that was really surprising. So is is the fun the process or the outcome? Like on Friday, the week that we're recording this, which is about a month in advance of air, you know, my manuscript first draft for my next book is due to the publisher. And I've gotten a bunch of emails from my team saying, hey, make sure you celebrate Friday when you hit send. Um, so and that's important because I'm the, I'm Calvinist enough just to keep working. But um, like, is it is it the process that has to be fun or the outcome or all of the above? Or, or what yeah, are you learning? It's both. It's both. You can't wait till the process is done for the fun. Um, yeah. It's all along the way. So it has to be, you know, small things along the way that keep you going versus like one big payout. Because right. the problem with that is if it's one big payout, it'll never be good enough. Like it right. just won't. Like every book I've ever, like every time I've ever hit send, like it was fun, but it wasn't like, you know, <laughs> it's it's like when a book comes out, your th your thought the first time is like, People are going to look at me differently on the street and like everybody will know and like social media will be blowing up. And then you release your book and it's like, no, they're doing their own lives. Like it's, it's not that big of a difference. And so, no, it has to be along the way. Great. What, what makes it fun for you? Like in the work process, whether you're writing a talk or writing a book or doing some of the other things you do, what are some little hacks along the way that have made it more fun for you? Well, the, the two types of kind of fun motivation most people are scientifically geared toward are fear motivation or reward. So mm -hmm. they call it, you know, psychologists call it approach and avoidance. I want to approach okay. a goal. If I do this, I get this thing. I want to avoid an outcome. If I do this, I'll avoid this. And so it really depends and, and people float between. So one of the, like when I talk to employers, they instantly know what I'm talking about because they've had an employee that they loved who was great. And they tried to incentivize and that person wasn't motivated by reward and it didn't help. They'd say, mm. we'll give you more money. We'll give you more. I mean, yeah, you, see yeah. us with, you see us with millennials, 45% care more about workplace flexibility than salary. So when you mm. say to a millennial, we'll raise your money, they go, well, can I work from home? And you go, we'll raise your money. And they don't, they don't care about that the <sighs> same way other generations did. So for me, a motivation for speaking is I don't want to bomb. Like I like <laughs> the clapping. I like the laughter. Yeah. That stuff's nice. Don't get me wrong. Um, I don't want to have my, I, I don't, I want to avoid, you know, my fear is hour long speech. I'm done in 10 minutes and it's just mm -hmm. 50 minutes of me trying to fill time. So I am motivated by that. Um, other, other times, you know, the book reading, I like posting on Instagram. I like having friends mm -hmm. go, dude, you're reading so many books way to go. Like that's a fun thing for me. So it really depends on what the goal is and how you're wired for it. You see the same thing with health. If you're a fear person, a doctor needs to say to you, if you don't lose weight, you won't be around for your daughter's wedding. Yep. If you're a reward person, he needs to say, if you lose weight, you and your wife can hike Cinque Terre in Italy this summer along the coast of the Mediterranean. And you go, oh my gosh. So it really depends. Right. So when people are moving to finish, what is the difference? Because a lot of people get stuck in the middle. I think in one of the things I read, you said uh, that day two has a pretty significant drop-off rate in your 30 days of hustle, that yep. you thought it would be in the middle or two-thirds of the way through. But let, let's talk about the people you know who January 2nd does not cream all their New Year's resolutions, all right? So they're, they're still going at the end of January. 
And maybe they're working on a book or they're working on a talk or they're working on some project at work or whatever. We all have a lot of fear. Every writer does. Everybody who creates does. Where is the line between this is good enough to ship and this is garbage? I mean, where, because, you know, there's that sort of minimum viable product, right, that you have to get out the door. What has helped you figure out, okay, this is, I'm wasting my time and wasting my life doing this versus, no, nah, this is a good minimum viable product. I've got to, I got to publish this. I got to ship it. Yeah. I mean, I think community does. I think usually you're too close to it to have an honest understanding of it. So mm. if you're writing a book with a publisher, you have an editor that says like, this is great. Or you have an editor right. that says this needs work. Um, I think a spouse can be super helpful if you've mm-hmm. been mature enough to involve them in the process. Um, I think friends can be really helpful. Um, I think, uh, you know, setting a deadline you keep, you know, mm. can be really helpful. And then you have to look at diminishing returns. You have to right. go, it's at a 92. I could spend a thousand more hours to get it to a 94, but this audience is thrilled with an 88. Right. So I've exceeded their expectations I'm going to, you know, I'm going to push forward. Like, they'll be happier I sent it out than if I had gotten one more degree six months later. Um, Hmm. And so I think you just kind of have to. And the other thing is knowing it won't be perfect. Like, it's just not good. Like, I say that all the time. Amazon has never sold a perfect book. It sold a million imperfect books people were brave enough to finish. Like, that's the difference. It's true. That's very, very true. And you know what? Some, I don't know whether you find this or not, but every time I'm ready to ship something, I'm like, oh, I can make it better. I can make it better. And then the deadline is my friend slash enemy where I'm like, it's just got to ship. And then I look back at it a year later and went, you know what? It's better than I thought it was at the time. Like it's, it's actually not that bad and it seems to have done well and, and the whole deal. Do you find that to be typical of your work or other people's work that you get into that panic stage when you're in the last part of creation? I mean, I don't like, I don't like to finish. Like I've learned the value and how to do it, but it's not Mm -hmm. my natural Jenny. If she doesn't finish feels panic, like my wife, but I do like to your first thought, I know that the most creative you ever are, the most new ideas you'll get are when you're trying to finish an old idea. So (laughs) I'm no longer as a writer, as a leader, I'm no longer surprised by that. I'm no longer like, Oh my gosh. Like I know they're coming. I'll write them down somewhere else. I'll deal with them later. That's they're not for this. And so Hmm. I'm no longer surprised by that. I expect it. I anticipate it. I prepare for it. But, you know, so when writers are like at the last second, I had this great new idea or like when somebody's putting on an event and they're like the week before we had this great concept. I'm like, of course you did. Like, (laughs) like, obviously, duh. Um, And so once you know that you realize it's not special and you realize it's going to happen and you need a plan for it. Okay. What's the hardest part of the creative process for you personally? Getting to finish. When, when you think about everything you do, is there a common pause point or panic point or like, ah, oh, this is the top of the mountain and I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to make it? It depends on the project, but like if it's personal project, the last 4%, like mm. the actual, like, like the last three inches to cross the finish line. I just right. don't like things to be done. Especially, here's the other thing people don't talk about. If you enjoy doing it, you want to continue doing it. So if you love doing a certain activity, like, you know, it can be silly. Like, you could go, why is that guy so obsessed about his yard? And you're like, because he loves doing it. 
Like yeah. he, he pushes pixels all day, never sees his work change. On the weekends, he mows his lawn practically with scissors because he can see the progress and it feels real and his hands are dirty. And so I'd say True. personal projects, the last four inches, I'd say like house projects, like we're doing a renovation right now. We're in the middle when it feels like it'll never end. So there's this middle section where you're like, we're so far away. The shore is still so far off. We can't do it. That's really hard. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know what? I, I, and, and I never thought about that, that you really enjoy the process so much. That's true. You know, I just finished reading a Wright Brothers biography. Um, yeah, by McCullough. Oh, it was such a beautiful book. I'm like mourning the finishing of that book. It's sure, like, why didn't sure. you write another thousand pages? Because I would yep. have read them. And, uh, and I find that with certain things too. And I am that lawn guy. Um, is, are there typical stumbling blocks for people when they're trying to get to finish, like in your research or what you've discovered about finishing where you're like, Hey, here are the two or three things that are going to trip you up and stop you from finishing. Um, I mean, I think, you know, it really like, I know fear of success stops a lot of people. Mm. Um, so I know that's, that's going to happen. Can we talk about that for a minute? Because I had a friend diagnose that in me that I was actually more afraid of success than failure. That's common? Super common. Like Really? It's super common in evangelical circles the most. Like if you said to mm. me who struggles with the most, it's evangelical circles because they have all this money shame. Yeah. And so like and like I don't want to be the rich young ruler, so they're the worst. <laughs> Really? Uh, so it's fear of having too much, too much money, too big a church well, like to a this? Friend, yeah. A friend of mine said the other day, he was like, hey, that CEO makes X amount of dollars a year. I wonder how he sleeps at night. And I wanted to say like probably on Hungarian down pillows, like <laughs> probably fine. But like what, what happened is he had an arbitrary line where it was like, you no longer deserved rest, I guess, once you'd made a certain <laughs> amount of money. And so there are a lot of people and it could be your parents, like, Maybe your parents, like a friend of mine, his mom used to always say, the only way they could afford that is if they're doing something illegal or cheating. Or right, right. And he had to eventually say like, mom, like you don't have to sell drugs to have a nice house. There's a lot of accountants who have a nice house. And so it might be inherited. Um, there's also the fear of success can be the fear of exposure. Mm. If I succeed at finishing my book, it's one thing to have a book in my house. It's another thing to have it on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, and I remember Tim Sanders, another author, told me that Kurt Vonnegut, before he passed away, said to him, you know, if Amazon had existed, Mark Twain would have jumped off a building. Um, really? Think about, you know, when Mark Twain was writing, critics were trained, schooled experts in newspapers. Yes. Um, they, you know, there was no such thing as an Amazon review. I always think if you really want to change, like as an author, read them as Amazon opinions, not Amazon reviews, because that's mm. all they are. It's not mm -hmm. a review. Like it's <laughs> not some scholar that stepped down from Oxford to review your book. It's an opinion. And that's great. Have an opinion. But the idea that next to the buy button can be a stranger's opinion that changes your ability to sell your book is it's very new. Like we, we act yeah, like it is not it's super new um and so sometimes the fear of success is a fear of exposure yep and the one two three star reviews i mean i don't know anybody who who pretends that they don't you know make you feel weird on the inside i saw a couple recently one on my podcast one on my last book and the guy wrote something on amazon like 
Uh, this is a great book, but I fell asleep. So it gave me three stars. And I'm like, what? 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 What, what is yeah. that? What is that? Yeah. Well, it might have been he was tired that day. I know. I've fallen asleep, but that doesn't make it a bad book. And then why do I remember that one, but not the 175 uh, yeah. five-star reviews, sure. right? Sure. I don't even look at those. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I don't, I don't look at most Amazon reviews to tell you the truth. Like, it's just not, it's not helpful. Like, I don't know. It's not, it's not, I don't know. It's not instructive either. Like most no. of the time it's not instructive. Plays with your brain. I think there are legitimate complaints in some of my one-star reviews. Like I, I'm not dismissing mm-hmm. some of the things that people say. Some aren't good, but like some, they they read the book and they pointed out some flaws and I was like, oh man, like that's a good point. Yeah, that's I just don't true. think, I just don't think it's helpful to me. Yeah, that's good. So fear of success. I'm glad we drilled down on that one a little bit. That's uh, That keeps people from getting to finish. Um, anything else on your mind that you've seen? And uh, we got lots of other stuff to talk about. So I'm just trying to mine this. Yeah, I mean, it, it really depends on like, what are the secret rules you're bringing to the situation? You know, mm. do you believe for it to count, you have to do it all by yourself? You know, <laughs> to ask for help is weakness because you know, I don't know, your dad told you that, you know, you should be a strong, independent person, um, or you got a divorce once and, and that person said something and you're still caring, you're still living out, you know, a girl in the, in the book said that, um, her secret rule was that to be in shape and be fit is slutty. And so being out of shape is more humble. And you go, that is crazy. Like, and she knows it's crazy, but like, the problem with a lot of goal setting books, because my goal with this in part was to kind of attack and rewrite a bunch of the broken rules we have about goals or the, the ideas we have that just aren't true. Hmm. Um, and so like that's that's part of it is going, OK, well, what do I really believe and why do I believe that? And where did I get that idea and what does yeah. that mean and how do I, you know, how do I push through that? Um, and so. I think that's a big part of it. And the problem with a lot of goal setting books is they deal with you on a logical reason based level. And that's unfortunately not where you live. Like I remember somebody once said, they said, if, if Americans were reason based people, people magazine wouldn't sell more copies than time. And, <laughs> and it does like a lot more. And so it's, it's interesting, but yeah, I think you have to understand all the emotional stuff you're bringing to something as simple as I want to lose five pounds. Yeah, you know what? You're right. I think often it's those emotional things. It's why I know when I overeat, it's why I overeat. It's emotional. It's not. Oh, yeah. There's no logic to that. You know, skip an exercise for a nap. There's no logic to that. That's emotional. And the games you play with yourself, the mental games about why you can't write today or why you can't do this or why you've got to cut the lawn for the third time rather than do what's on your to-do list. So, John, you're, in my view, you know, you're a very highly productive person. You've got a great output. Um, you seem to live a pretty full life. Take us through, um, and I know there's no typical day because you travel a lot, you speak a lot, etc., but kind of your routine. Like what, if we're going to deconstruct John Acuff, what are some of the habits and the things that you do that allow you to accomplish what you've accomplished so far in your life? Yeah, I mean... I'm not a big like morning habit guy. People always, people always want like, tell me the seven things you do every morning. I'm just not wired that way. Um, And I think the reality is sometimes people want to know that because they think the system will save them. 
It's the same reason like I'll meet authors that are like, I just got to get a perfect outline because they think if the outline is good enough, it'll make the book writing easy. It, it won't. That's not I how, don't write to how, an outline. Never yeah, have. That's not how books work. And hmm. so, I mean, a couple habits. Um, I try to exercise a couple times a week. I think that keeps me healthy and kind of mentally engaged. I do read a lot. So I think that's mm-hmm. helpful. I do a lot of, um, I, I don't know if I'd call it journaling, but I take a lot of notes. Yeah. Uh, I have a lot of notebooks and, uh, and you know, so like, and is that moleskin or digital or both? No, it's some German brand like Luke Trum or something. I did moleskin mm. forever, but I found a brand I liked even more, which I didn't think was possible. Uh, <laughs> and so like today, for instance, you asked me about reading. I wrote down the page number I was on for the three books I'm reading. So at the end of the day, I can know, wow, I did 200 pages today of these three books wow. total. Like that's awesome. So I do that. Um, I try to have coffee with friends a couple times a week. Hmm. Um, I think that's helpful. Like I go on walks with my wife. I don't. I don't consume a lot of content online. In that, like people always go, "What are your top ten favorite blogs?" And I think I can't. I don't read two blogs. Yeah. Um, it's just not my favorite medium. Um, and I think for a lot of people it is. And then if I'm doing well, I'm scheduling ideas ahead of time. So. I'm scheduling 10 tweets for today and right. then I'm not, not on it constantly. Um, and then, you know, little things like I try to leave my phone in the kitchen versus bringing it to bed with me because mm-hmm. um, I'll end up staying up later than I want. So those are, I guess, some of the habits I do. Yeah, you have a lot of, it seems like you have a lot of margin in your life. Do you have like fixed periods where usually between 9 and 11 you're writing or, um, or it's just kind of you go with the flow and see what every day brings? Well, this summer is different because we moved. So like it's been mm-hmm. a bunch of house stuff. So that's been kind of unique. Um, but I think like a larger one, I think I'm going to take off next July just yeah. because like I thought if I had a job that gave me a month off, I would think that was the best job I'd ever had in my life. Like that's <laughs> amazing. And so like I'm going to try that. And I'll still like it's not that I'm going to be in a cave somewhere like if a opportunity comes speak, you know, cause it's never that day. It's always like six months from now where you speak. If my agent sends me a speaking offer, I'm not going to say, sorry, I don't get to look at that for 27 more days. Like yeah. I'll look at it. I'm not going to be rigid on it, but I just know my rhythm. I don't do great work in July. Like I just don't mm. like, it's a really unproductive month for me. So I can struggle, be, be down on myself, try produce something that's not good. Or I can know the like a year out next July, I'm not doing it. And I'll do stuff like I'm wired to accomplish. I enjoy that. So I'll definitely do stuff, but it'll just be fun stuff. So I, you know, Gordon McDonald in the order in your private world talked about hmm. that a lot, like figuring out what are your natural rhythms. Um, Cause there's days where it's better for you to write a sermon than other days of the week. So I think a big part of leading yourself is self-awareness hmm. and recognizing, okay, like I always tell teams, never have an important meeting at four o'clock on a Friday. That's just like the yeah. dumbest thing where you're yeah. like, oh, we're all exhausted and tired and, and ready to go home. Let's have a meeting. I just think that's <laughs> such, it's such poor leadership. Yeah, I, I agree with that. Did Is this something that just gets sharper in you all the time, the self-awareness, like you kind of become a student of yourself? Or did you know this when you were in your 20s and working for somebody else? No, no, I didn't know anything in my 20s. <laughs> um, so no, I do think it gets sharper. I, you know, I hope that, I hope that, um, 10 years from now, I feel like I've, you know, I'm, I'm better at handling that, you know, 
the things that trip me up or make me fall. I, I won't be perfect by any means, but I'll know, you know, like I would say in my twenties, I didn't know I needed exercise to feel good. Right. Um, and I would say now I know, okay, I need exercise. Like my twenties, I didn't know I needed X amount of hours of sleep and I probably didn't even value them. Now I know like I need X amount of hours of sleep. Like mm. what's ideal for you in terms of sleep? If you're, seven, if you're sleeping seven well. to eight, seven to eight. Yeah. You know, for a lot of people who are highly productive, the number is a lot higher than people would think. Oh, yeah. So many, like, I, I think we think that, like, uh, it's four hours or it's, right. you know, so many online people are like, you just, you can sleep when you're dead. I'm like, well, you'll, you'll be dead faster. <laughs> a lot sooner. So those are things you're learning. You do fun really well. I mean, you're a fun person. That's your personality. I mean, your jokes aren't just on stage, they're backstage. And we travel together with uh, Orange. And I mean, you just you just love to have fun and you work well. And often the two are exclusive. You see people who have a really good time, but they don't produce a lot or people who produce a lot, but they don't know how to have a good time. How do you manage that? Because so many people see that as an unmanageable tension between fun and work. Like, for example, you know, you you take vacations with your family. You're always doing fun things. You're down at the neighborhood pool you're you're out with friends for coffee. So walk us through how you got there and why you do that. Yeah, I mean, part of it, I do have to be careful that I don't kind of have work applied to fun. So an example of that is my wife was like, you're a workaholic, you need to have a hobby. So I was like, all right. And I put this story in the book. And so Is that I, your I default? Was, you are a workaholic? Yeah, I'd say. I mean, I enjoy what I do. Like, yeah, me too. I always tell people, you're not a workaholic at a job you hate. Unless you're trying to avoid something. You're at a job you hate, you try to do it less, not more. Right. Um, and so like, so I was like, I want to play ping pong. So I hired a coach and I made it this miserable workaholic experience versus just getting a table. So there are times, but like for me, Jenny's the, mo- the more adventurous one in the family. So when she says we're going to Maine or we should go to do this Hawaiian thing, like she, I would say she captains fun more than I do where she's really mm-hmm. smart to go. Like if I get a speaking gig in like Windsor, Canada in February, she's like, don't do that. That'll suck. Hey, that's my hometown. I know, but dude, was, come on. In February, like uh, it would be yeah. terrible. Well, sometimes it uh-huh. doesn't snow. What, Were you on that like Tim Hortons run degrees. to Windsor a couple years ago? I don't know. There's a bunch of people when we were in Detroit, they went across the border to get Tim Hortons. but No, I, I don't that, think I did. But like she's well, the one that'll go, that next time, buddy. fun. Like that's not <laughs> enjoyable. And so like, and, and I've been deliberate about fun. Like I've worked on yeah, fun yeah. with a counselor where a counselor was like, go skiing more. I'm like, all right, you know? And so <laughs> I, I don't know. Like, so have you come to enjoy fun? Like, do you like um, skiing now and ping pong? I mean, oh, I've seen, I love yeah. skiing. I love like, if I could live in Colorado, I would tomorrow. Like I yeah. uh, love skiing and I'm going to try to go a couple times this year and it's just not easy from Nashville, you know, like mm-hmm. it's not, I'm not going to go to West Virginia, no offense to West Virginia. Like I'm going to yeah. go to Colorado and that's challenging or Utah and that's, that's a difficult flight, you know? So yeah, I do like it now. And my bike, I like riding my bike. Like it's yeah. awesome. It's fun and you feel like a kid and yeah. So I'm, I don't know. I just, I, there's a part of me that's like, what's the point otherwise? And Jen, Jenny's helped me with that. Yeah. Yeah. Do you find that for people, because I'm, I'm the same as you, I would work all the time. I love what I do. I always have in one form or another. 
But for me, if there's no diversion, and for me, it's the three B's, boating, bicycling, and barbecue, that if I'm on those activities, I will pry myself away from work. And you put me on the water. We got a boat this year. You put me on the water and like, I feel like I'm on vacation. It's amazing. Um, But otherwise, if it's just like, how are we going to watch a show or, you know, we're going to go for a walk around the block or whatever, I struggle a little more. Are you wired the same way? I just won't. I'll go to bed. Like if it's like we're gonna watch a show, I'll be like, "All right, let's just read in bed then." This is yeah, dumb. I'm the same way. Tony's like, "I married you know? an old man." Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'm like that. I'm getting better. Like walking, I like, but even then, like I like, I like if I have a Fitbit on. I'm getting better at being okay <laughs> with like. I still want to track my steps. Like that's yeah, I'm not ashamed of that. Um, you know, <clears throat> for instance, like I would love. Our, our local movie theater, and it's a big chain, does a, a monthly pass where you can go to endless movies for a month. Like, hmm. it would be fun to me and kind of goalish to say, okay, in December, I'm going to get a monthly pass and I'm going to see how many times I can go. <laughs> like, I'm going to see if I can get to it where it's only, I'm only paying four bucks a movie because I went so many times. <laughs> right. like, you could say, well, that's kind of, you've turned it into work, but I would say like, that's fun. Like I'm beating the system. Yeah. Like I enjoy that. So I get jazzed up about that. Um, and the idea of like, it's fun that I had the money for that. Like, yeah, that's that you a could very get a pass. frivolous thing that I could afford a $50 movie pass or whatever it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's good. And I think, you know, I think that's great advice for leaders who do tend to be there. If you have something on your calendar that says, Hey, Tonight we're on the lake with friends, or um, you know we're going to do this or that. Then I think that's a lot better. So, John, are there any like little productivity hacks, just like little things that have really helped you produce what you produce? Anything that you're like, oh man, when I started doing this, it just got better. Like it could be as simple as when I started getting seven, eight hours sleep a night, I started producing more. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, hiding my email, I cut my email app in a folder on like my second page Uh, helped me because then like my finger didn't automatically go there. So like figuring out the app you go to too often and then making it a little more difficult, like where my email was, I know what you mean, where my email was, it's now TripAdvisor. So then I have to do something fun and my email's on the third page of my phone. So like something like that is super helpful or then just... You know, the book talks a lot about making things easy for yourself. So, you know, you could definitely go, oh, man, like you forgot that book at home. You can't buy it on Kindle, too. Like, why not? If it's nine dollars, like I have the nine dollars. Right. Like if I'm away and I want to finish it, I'm like, I'm not going to feel shame about that. I mean, even like you said, fun, a little productivity hack to me, which is unusual, but is that I'll upgrade a rental car. So when I go mm-hmm. somewhere and I go to the lot and Enterprise goes, here's your you know, terrible small car, I'll go, what, do you have any upgrades? And they'll go, yeah, for $15 more, here's a brand new Volvo that's going to be super fun to drive. Yeah. And so for $15 more, I got three hours of enjoyment. Like that is, what a deal. I paid $5 an hour to feel great driving a fun car. Like I'm happier when I show up at the gig. I'm happier when I leave the gig, you know, like. That's one of those things where, and then I guess another one is being deliberate about where you use your business. So like, it's great that like Jenny and I fly, she has a companion pass on Southwest and so do I. 
So that means when we fly with our kids, they're our companions. They fly for free. We use miles for our flight. So we fly from Nashville to L.A. round trip for $44 total. Four wow. people, $44. Because we were deliberate about we're going to do this with Southwest. We're going to gain points. We're going to da-da-da. And so like – and it's an $11 tax per person. And so like being deliberate – and for years I did business travel and I spread it out over all brands, all whatever – Oh, we're in at Enterprise, we're in at Hertz, we're in at Davis. And now I'm yeah. like, no, 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 no. I'm Enterprise. I'm this hotel chain when I can. You can't do mm-hmm. it all sure, the time. Sure, you can't do it. No? The hotels are harder. Yeah. Um, but like little things like that where you go, okay, that like that makes a lot of sense. That makes you, you know, business travel is exhausting. I don't think yes. it's difficult in the sense of like my wife always teases me. She's like, Oh, you spend a night by yourself in a clean hotel, like how terrible, you know, like <laughs> You went to bed when you wanted to go to bed. And so like, it's not that it's this, we're not coal miners, but it is like, it does exhaust you in a way, like making connections and all of that. And so the little things you can do, you know, having noise canceling headphones is a hack. Like flying with noise canceling headphones, it's worth the investment. So finding, you know, little things like that where you go, like my wife says it about running. She's always like, buy nice running shoes because shoes are cheaper than knees. Mm. And so like one of my favorite questions for people, like an icebreaker, I'll say, what's something you overspend on and something you underspend on? Um, And so like my friend, for instance, he underspends in that when we go to a restaurant and somebody didn't eat a Danish, he wraps it up in a napkin and takes it home. He's like, we paid for it. But he owns every James Bond Omega watch that's been released. And they're 8000 each, and he probably owns Holy cow. So he has wow. $80,000 of watches. So that's I think bananas. it's interesting to, to learn from people what's something that they go, oh, I couldn't afford that. Or like they're buying a used version of it, and you go, yeah, but you have a, like, a $50,000 SUV, and you bought the used version of, the, like, of this thing mm-hmm. that doesn't make any sense. Of your $100 you know? item, yeah. Yeah, you're you know trying what? to say. Like, that's fascinating to me. It, it, you know, the principle underneath that, John, and I can relate. I mean, for years, and this doesn't have to cost thousands and thousands of dollars. I mean, it's just what are the things that make your life a little bit better in the margins, right? Whether that, like, for example, I'll give you a good example. A decade ago, you know, my last used brand new car I bought was like 17 years ago, and it was a lemon. We unloaded it for a fraction of the value that we paid for it four years later. It was horrible. My wife is like, no more brand new cars. So about 10 years ago, you know, budget's tight, kids are entering university, the whole deal. And I'm like, I found this amazing Honda Pilot. It's like half price, but it's got all the options. It's got leather this, leather that. And I'd never had leather anything. And so I test drove it and uh, I said, you know, I could find something for a couple thousand dollars cheaper, probably if I really looked. But like, if you let me get this, I don't think I'll want to get rid of it. Anyway, we bought the car. It was less than half price of new and it was two years old. And I drove that thing until I had over 300,000 miles on it. And I loved every minute of it. That's great. And I said, this is great. Like it's a used car, but rather than going the super cheap route to save 500 bucks or a thousand bucks and get, you know, the entry level where even you, you know, you don't even have power windows. Um, it had all the bells and whistles on it, which depreciate the fastest. And it was, it was a great hack. And I love my car. I love traveling places more. And often, you know, when you don't have stress in areas of your life you can control, it makes the work that sometimes gets stressful a little bit easier. Oh, yeah. And well, I mean, like, and you can apply that to hiring an assistant. 
Like I guarantee yeah. there are people listening right now that are like, I can't afford one. I'm not that big. I'm not important enough. And like, I'm not saying full time, but even a 10 hour a week assistant can do wonders for your productivity, your stress level, you know, your enjoyment with the things you do get to do. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, I think there's a million little things like that, that you say, that's really fun. I mean, my friend, a friend of mine, he had a forerunner, he got rid of it, got a Prius and like he was driving his kid out in a field to like a Boy Scouts thing. He could barely get out there in the Prius. <laughs> and this life coach said to him, like, what do you want to do? And he's like, I'm getting a, a forerunner again. And it was, yeah. and that's not an insult to a Prius for somebody else. The Prius is their thing. Like they've yeah, always wanted a Prius, but like for him, it was like, I'm going to do that. And it's going to be really fun and I can't wait. And like, I, you know, I have a VW GTI, which is like a fast go-kart and it's bright red. <laughs> and like, I love it. And somebody said always, you know, when you can get a car that you look back at when you're walking into somewhere. And like, mm. I do, like I look back and I'm like, Oh, I get to drive that later. Like that's a, <laughs> for the hours we as North Americans spend in our cars, like that's a fun thing. Like you did 300,000 miles. Like it's so weird to think, because if you do the math, like say you bought that, how many miles did the car have on it when you bought it? It had about 100,000 on it, which is why it was half price at 18 months. Guy okay, just drove so, it like crazy, business owner. So let's say that you put on 200,000 miles and you probably could have saved $10,000. So no, I'm I could have saved $2,000. Okay, so, fine. So I'm going to do, I've got my calculator out. So I'm going to say 200,000 divided by $2,000 means let me see 200,000 yeah so you would have saved math. like what is that like 10 cents you paid 10, 10 cents. cents a mile so i like cents a mile for it something might even fun. be one cent i think like, it might be might one even, cent okay yeah, one cent and in so the show know, notes listeners john and yeah. i are math challenged but the yeah, point is made. The, math. the point mm -hmm. is it wasn't you know it was like a friend of mine who once didn't he didn't <laughs> get a uh, bonus at work because he hadn't worked like 60 hours a week, he'd worked 50. And when we did the math, it was a $3,000 bonus. And he had, and then he was home from, for like 200 hours. And it was like, he paid $3 an hour to be with his family. It's like, would you pay that? Of course you would. Yes, of so course you would. Most of the time, the math embarrasses you. Like a big chapter yeah. in finish is about data. Because emotions lie, data tells the truth. Like my statement is, data prevents denial, which, uh, data kills denial, which prevents disaster. Oh, that's good. <laughs> that is so good. And I guess the point is, you know, most of us have a lot of stress in our lives, but sometimes we add stress that simply doesn't need to be there. Maybe you go to a garage sale, you buy a used ping pong table, set it up in your garage and go get some almost free therapy, right? Well, like one of my goals in life is to live my life in a, you know, in a, in a way that people go, wow, must be nice. And I go, it is. Thank you for, <laughs> for noticing, even though you're being passive aggressive. Like, right. and I don't mean money wise. Like, don't hear me say like, no, 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 no. A million dollars. Like, I just mean that like, if I, like, I guarantee there were people that heard me say, I want to take next July off and were like, oh, must be nice for that dude. Like, yeah, it'll yeah. be awesome. And this is <laughs> year 19 of work. Like I'm not 22 and was like, oh, I want to find myself in Europe. Like, this was, you know, I just started to think if I worked at it. So next year will be 2018. I've worked mm -hmm. professionally for 20 years since college in 98. If I was at a job for 20 years, it wouldn't be unreasonable to think that I might I might have four weeks off a year. Like I really yeah. like 
That's not unreasonable. Oh, yeah. Right? No, no, no. That, that's pretty normal if you'd stayed at the same place. Or if I was at the level I'm at in that industry and I was an executive, I might have six weeks off or whatever. Yeah, and so, yeah. And it's funny. Europeans are listening to this right now and be like, yeah, we take August off. Like, why are you <laughs> such losers? And then all the holy days, even though we don't go to church anymore. Yeah, exactly. Absolutely. Exactly. No. Okay, well, let's go back to uh, 20 years ago and through your 20s, because we've got a lot of young listeners who are young um, leaders who are listening. John, and you've talked about this publicly, written about it. You went through a lot of iterations of who you might become, lots of different jobs that, you know, at the time were frustrating for you. When you look back, and this is almost an impossible to answer question, but I want to ask it anyway. Could you, in, in, from where you are right now, do you think you could have short-circuited your story, like gotten to where you are faster? Or do you think you had to go through all of the twists and turns you went through to get where you are now? You know what I mean? Because you kind of yeah, hit, yeah. hit a wall here, hit a wall there. And there's a lot of leaders who feel like that right now. They're like, man, I'm hitting walls. I don't know who I am. I don't know what I'm going to do. I have no idea what it's going to be like when I'm 40. Do you think that's just part of the journey? Or like, if you're talking to your 22-year-old self, would you be like, John? listen, man, don't X or do I think this. It's a, I think it's both. Um, on the one hand, <clears throat> I think with a better attitude, um, a more uh -huh. humble spirit, a greater willingness to listen to wise mentors, you know, I would say I could have shortened it because I can easily point the finger at mistakes. And right. if I look at the mistakes and I do the opposite of the mistakes, theoretically, some of this, it's either shorter or it's better. Um, you know, like maybe, <laughs> maybe I start doing something at 25 and I've got a 10 year head start on the guy who starts at 35. So on the one hand, I definitely think that if we're honest, there are mistakes we made that added time or complication or frustration, and it could be a dating relationship. It'd be like right. to me, you know, if you said to me, I don't know that I would have married my wife sooner, but the relationship might've progressed faster if I hadn't had the residue of a bad relationship. Right. On the, flip side of that, there are some things you can't force. Like I have gained opportunities because of social media. So I can't say, even if I had been amazing at 22, if Twitter mm. wasn't around until I was 29, well, guess what? Like until yeah. I was 29. But for instance, I, I started up my first blog in 2001. So Imagine if I had done that blog consistently to 2017. I took like six years off. I did it hmm. for a while. I was like, oh, the internet's neat. And then I just left. Do yeah. I believe if I had stayed faithful to that, I'd have a very different platform right now? I do. Like I would yeah. have had six years more experience. I mean, that's why one of the myths of accomplishment is that everybody has the same access and they just don't. Like hmm. if you look at a lot of celebrities, if you look at like J.J. Abrams, the guy who just yeah. did the Star Wars, his parents worked in Hollywood. He was working on Spielberg films at age 14. You're out of <laughs> your mind if you don't think that by the time he's 34, his 20 years experience has prepared him better than your college degree and you're 34. True. So I think there's a lot of people like that where you go, where did they grow up? How did they grow up? What did their, you know? Did Andy Stanley benefit from having Charles Stanley as a father? Yeah, probably. Slightly. He probably, yeah, he slightly. probably did. Like, and I don't mean opportunity. I mean what he learned and how he learned it. And and so I, I think I think that's something we don't we don't like to admit that there's there's something you know we don't like to discuss the limits of uh of our lives. 
No, the break from blogging is really interesting. You're right. You took six years off. And I did the same thing. I started blogging in 07 and then, you know, start, stop, start, stop, yep. like so many people until 2012, when in September of that year, five years ago, this month, actually, I thought, no, I'm going to drill down three times a week. I'm still doing two or three times a week and I haven't stopped in five years. Um, yep. That brings exponential results. I mean, sure. just consistency plus grace of God and a few lucky breaks along the way. I, I can't explain it all. But yeah, I wonder what would have happened if I had just been consistent since 2007. When you look at your work career, because a lot of people in the marketplace listening to and they're hitting their heads against the wall in tough jobs. Is there any advice you'd give to the younger John Acuff when he was working in the marketplace for someone else? Yeah, I mean, I would just say the I, I did this at my last job. I got really good at learning on the job. Um, for example, so I, I applied to every leadership program the company offered. Um, and I tried to take every class I could. So I was the only person who didn't work in customer service that took the customer service, like how to take care of our customers course. Like it was amazing. Like not only did it expose me to other parts of the company, it also taught me about how to treat people. Like I had an amazing time. Um, so if I'm at a company that offers stuff, I'm taking advantage of all of that. If I'm not at a company that offers stuff, I'm figuring out who are the mentors there that I can learn from or who in my circle I can learn from. Um, and then the big thing is just patience. Like it's just patience. I mean, the principle I always talk about, it's the push versus pull. I'd rather you get pulled to a new opportunity than push your way there. And a Hmm. push is, A push is, for instance, I had one big blog post go viral and I sold a bunch of t-shirts. So I'm going to quit. I'm going to blog full time. And then you fail almost instantly because you pushed your way there prematurely. A pull is I'm doing it in the morning. I'm doing it at lunch. I'm doing it at night. And the opportunities are so big, I can't help but go. I have to go. They're pulling you in. Yeah, you're being squeezed out of your day job. I'm missing more by not doing it. And so I think that's a big part of it is going, okay, push pull but also the patience of if you're young you have to put in the time like yeah. that's that like you might think you're ready to lead but if you're you know if you don't have the experience if you you know even something like politically you might not just have the political support you might be at a company hmm. right now and your manager loves you and thinks you're wildly talented and are going to be a great leader one day but they have the wisdom to see you don't have the equity of relationships in this company and if they promoted you, you'd actually end up losing your job because team members would revolt. So they're giving yeah. you bandwidth and the runway to grow into that versus trying to force it on you. Yeah, and there, there is something to say about reps. You know, I, just again, the week I'm turning in the manuscript, I said to my wife, Tony, the other day, I'm not sure I could have written this book 10 years ago because um, I've got oh, yeah. 10 more years of, of life behind me and insight that honestly wasn't there when I was your age, John. Like it just, I didn't have it and other people could have it, but I didn't. And so I think the reps are really important. And one of the things I think that makes that difficult these days is social media has really flattened everything. I mean, you used to have to know somebody and you still, it still helps to know somebody to get published. But I mean, you can just, you can start a blog for 49 cents tomorrow and who knows whether it's going to catch on. And there's this idea of instant gratification that's just gripped i think all of our minds to to one extent or another oh yeah without i mean without a doubt well not only that it's instant but that other people already have it and you should have it too yeah yeah. almost an entitlement yeah and that's the comparison thing 
Um, and the reality is you're only seeing part of what their life's like. You're not seeing all the hard work. Yeah. You're not seeing everything they put into it. So it's not, you know, it wouldn't be fair. So didn't you post that you had 4 million downloads? Yeah. Yeah. The podcast yeah, so is. I yeah. could see that and go, oh my gosh, how come he has so many and I don't have that many. And they don't see all the effort, all the interviews, all the, you know, all the relationships, all the like speaking in Richmond, you know, like all the mm -hmm. things that contributed to that snowball. Um, they just see the result. And so I can go, well, his, I want his result. Well, okay, well, Carrie's done a ton of things and it's really a long list and here's what they are. And then you go, oh, so I think the internet has flattened. It gives a false impression too. Yeah, that, no, that's true, you know, and there's, there have been, I mean, I've, I feel like one of the most blessed men on the planet, but, you know, there've been a lot of late nights where I do not want to do the intro extra. I don't want to get up at 5 a.m. Yeah. and like, hey, welcome to episode <laughs> with John, my friend, John, you know, and I'm like, which... What am I saying this week? Like, there's been a lot of those moments. Sure. And, sure. you know, you just keep going and you decide now every Tuesday it's got to be there and it's just going to be there. And by the grace of God, we haven't missed a, a Tuesday in, in three years and have no plans to do it. So, you know, here you are um, at this stage in your life. You're, I think you would define yourself as an author speaker. Is that your yeah, bio yeah, totally, these days? Totally. Author yeah. speaker. And you love both. You love both. But yeah. didn't start out that way. There's a lot of people listening who wonder, where am I going to be when I'm 40? Where am I going to be, you know, in a decade or five years or 10 years? When you look back on all the different jobs you did, whether that was at Bose or Home Depot or, you know, all those entry level customer service positions you had or, or you know, uh, marketing script writing jobs, are there common threads that looking back on it, you can go, huh? Yeah, now I can see the genesis of the author speaker there because I, I I would have never guessed where I would end up when I was 22, but I see common threads in my life that I think God was using at the time, but I, I was unaware of it. What would be some that you say, hey, this has been consistent, even going back to grade school, you know, uh, that like, yeah, this has always been me and this is how it's manifested itself. Yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, advertising was always... Mm -hmm. In once I found out about it in college, that was the thing. I remember Donald Miller told me, this is like 15 years ago, before I'd ever written a book, said, you know, advertising prepares you for writing a book because it teaches you how to get people to change and, and hmm. think differently about their ideas. And so like advertising, definitely. I remember at Auto Trader, no, I'm sorry, at Bose, at Bose in 2002, I put together this like idea speech that my boss let me give. And it was like, dude, it was all over the place. And it like, <laughs> and, and she was so kind about it. Like she was just like, Hey, good try. Like, but it was yeah. just like, I wanted to share creativity. And so I did this thing. And then, you know, I having a website in 2001 and, and figuring out the brand. And so like all that stuff. Yeah. And, and then also being at big brands, I was curious about big ideas. Like, I worked at Bose. I worked at Home Depot. I worked at Staples. I worked at Auto Trader. Those are all billion dollar brands. Yeah. So the idea of like, how do you have a big idea that's, that's far reaching and grows? And so, yeah, I definitely could see consistency there. Hmm. Did you have naysayers along the way that told you you were crazy that you basically just had to ignore? Yeah. Like, I mean, did you I ever get you labeled? Those... Mm-hmm. You always have those. I mean, I've had the, when I went off on my own, there were people that were like, you'll never be able to do any of this without working at Dave Ramsey. And so I was like, all right. Um, I mean, I, you know, how do you I navigate those voices? 
I think the one that bothers me, this happened to me the other day. Somebody said I'd crossed a line. And I didn't like that because the truth is I crossed their line. I didn't cross mm. the line. Like it was a joke that I made. And somebody, so like I, it bothers me when people take their personal beliefs about right. humor or about whatever and then go, no, this is the standard. According to me, this is the standard. And, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and that, that stuff bothers me more than somebody going, I don't think you'll be able to do it when it's most of that is just fuel for me. Like most of it, like when somebody says that, I'm like, it's gonna be so fun to prove this wrong. Um, (laughs) and a lot of the stuff, if we're honest, a lot of the stuff is doable and obvious. We just don't want to do it. Like Hmm. I can grow my email list by consistently posting great content to get people to sign up for my email list. So like, having thousands of people to sign up to get my resource on how to read a hundred books in a year was not complicated. I created a page with a form. I wrote a description on the page. I linked to the page. Like nobody listening would be like, Oh my gosh, I never thought that was the way to, that's real. But you have to put in the time. And so I don't know. Usually when somebody says something like that to me, um, I, you know, I try to, if it's something that matters to me, I try to feel it like, I don't want to be one of these entrepreneurs. It's like haters are my motivators. I think that's right. Um, so I want to feel it. I want to be honest. I want to process it. If it matters, if it's somebody online, like to like, I'm not going to do that. But if it's like somebody I worked with or somebody that knows me and, and it's, you know, and they've said something hurtful, like I'll process it. But then it's like, I'm going to do it anyway. Like I wasn't like, I always tell people the people that hate what you're doing aren't who you're doing it for anyway. Like they weren't going to buy the thing anyway. So like, it'd be like if I, if I had this amazing paddleboard for the ocean and a bunch of people in the desert were like, you're terrible. I'd be like, I don't care. You live in the desert. Like none of this is for you. Shut up. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. That's, that's good. And I mean, you've had your share of critics, right? You see them yeah. online. We all do. What are two or the three of the uh, two or three of the best things you did that got you moving in the right direction? When I mean, when you look back, best thing. But I would also say, ten years ago, if I could tell myself to do something, focus on email. Like focus mm. on um, social media, is sexier and more fun and colorful. But email matters a billion times more than any form of social media. Yeah. The second thing was, I think, listening to wise people. So I, you know, we both had the benefit of working with Reggie. And learning yeah. from Reg- Reggie so, Joyner. Yeah. So having people in my life that have access to my life that can say, like, hey, like, here's, you know, here's something to be careful about, or here's something to be, you know, interested in or look into. I mean, Brad Lominick, another mutual friend. Mm-hmm. Remember, he told me he would be like, this is nine years ago, eight years ago, he'd say, Hey, be careful you don't walk your brand right into this really narrow niche because it's really hard to get out. Like once you're labeled that, it's really hard to get out. And so yeah. I didn't know that. Like I just, you know, so listening to wise people and being willing to take their advice. I mean, it's like I have, I've had situations like that where I'll, I'll work with somebody and I'll give them an idea. They'll say, I want you to mentor me. And I'll give them one idea and then they don't do it. And then I know like, <laughs> no, like if you won't do the entry one, you're not going to do the rest. Like this is useless. That's a good word to mentors too. You know, I got a voicemail from a mutual friend, Kevin Jennings, this morning. He just like recorded some feedback on a landing page I had created. 
And like within 30 minutes, I emailed him back and I said, check it out. I implemented everything you said because <laughs> yeah. I want him to like that is uh, like if somebody's giving you good advice, like do it. I got another guy who runs a, a an eight figure company who's mentoring me this year. And like we're going to connect again in a week or two. But like everything he says that I can possibly do, I do. And then I let him know I did it. Because if I'm just there like, oh, yeah, I'm taking notes and not paying attention, he's not going to call me back, you know. And he shouldn't. No, he shouldn't. No, my father-in-law, his thing, because he's super successful. If somebody's like, hey, I want you to mentor me, he'll go, all right, let's have breakfast at 5.30 a.m. like near my house. And if they go, oh, it's too early, traffic, he won't meet with them. Because he knows like right. if you won't get up early for the breakfast, nothing I say is going um, to stick. So, yeah, I think – yeah. Email and then like mentors are probably the two okay. biggest things. No, that's good. Let's talk about email a little bit more because I think, you know, I would agree it's really hard to do. And this is for anybody who has an online platform or even frankly for church leaders who are listening. You know, you think about it, you run a church and you've got a database that I don't think most churches use particularly well. Why? And you've got how many followers on Instagram and Twitter? I mean, you got like a quarter yeah. million, don't you? It's yeah. crazy. So, but you would, if, if you, okay, if you could only do email or only do social, which would you pick? I'd only do email. Like yep. I would only like without a doubt. Um, here's the so thing. Explain if, why. Well, people quit Twitter all the time mm-hmm. or they create new accounts. People don't quit email. Like there are people in your email list right now with a Hotmail account and an AOL account because yeah. It's a hassle to start a new email address. It's terrible. You have to email everybody like, hey, I started right. this. So like, and it's more intimate. Um, you can deliver value. Um, you know, I might be one of 50 emails you get, but in 30 seconds, you can see 500 tweets. So yeah. like noise wise, it's a lot less noisy. Um, and I would argue not even just leaders. If, if you're listening to this and you're a stay at home mom or you're a, you're a guy that you're an accountant at a firm, you should still have a list of contacts that if you lost your job, you could email those people. Like if you're a stay-at-home mom, you should have a list, an email list of possible babysitters so that if you were in a pinch, you could email a babysitter and say, hey, I just think every human should have some degree of email list. Like that doesn't mean if I'm a stay-at-home mom that I'm trying to grow my babysitter list platform. Not at all. Right. It just means that you're connected to humans that in a time of need, whether that's you need to sell your book and so you email 10,000 people or you need to find a babysitter at the last second because your husband won tickets to a concert, you have those people. So to me, I don't care who you are, there's a need. Yeah. So on that note, like with your email list, would you find that people that you have an email relationship with in terms of what we call a call to action, whether that's like buy my book or simply hey, sign up on this list or please give me feedback on X or uh, join me for Facebook Live. Uh, what gets you better traction? Email, social? Oh, email. Yeah, like, like, like by, yeah, I, I was going to say 10X, 100X, 1000X. Yeah, I mean, it, sure. goes, it goes email and then it goes Facebook. Like mm-hmm. those are the I'd two agree. you want to do. Like Twitter's great, don't get me wrong. Instagram, Instagram's useless in the sense that Instagram's a cul-de-sac. Like it's hard to link out of it. Right. So for me, it's it's 100% email, and and again, like the percentages aren't great. Let's be honest. Like most people think, 
oh, send an email to a thousand people. I'll get a 10% like response rate. And like, no, you won't. Like, no, it, it diminishes. Like every action is kind of a gate that less people go through. So opening it. Well, like for the first gate is, did you make it into their inbox or their spam folder? The right. second gate is, did they open it? The third gate is, did they look at it? The fourth gate is, did they click? The fifth gate is, did they do the thing once they got to the page? Like, so you have to remember that about email. Like, it's not a one-to-one. Mm-mm. But still, I mean, a thousand, you might get 10 people or 50 people to respond yeah, to a call know. to action. That, and it depends yep. on the content. Um, yeah. You know, my general email list is like 18% open rate. My specific ones where I'm serving writers and entrepreneurs and speakers, 50 to 70% open rate. Yep. And no, you know, nobody, nobody does that. Yeah. Uh, no, that's incredible. I've had a similar experience with the sub list being like just ridiculously high yeah. and the general list still encouraging. I mean, 18%, there's a lot of large companies who would kill for that, John. They would, they yeah, would think I mean, that would be great. But it's still like 18 feels, if you grade on a, like A, B, C, or D, like every email is an F. 18%. <laughs> no, but that's not bad. Okay, some of the best advice you've ever received. What is, as uh, from a mentor, from, um, you know, yeah, your my parents, dad from said, Jenny. My dad said to keep people around me whose livelihood isn't based on um, my employment. So like, mm. you can't get honest, like, you can't ask for honest, difficult feedback from your employees because they're at the end of the day, like they might go halfway there, but there's a part of them that's going to be like, my son needs braces and I need this job. So like, let's soften this. So having people now that doesn't mean I can't get great feedback from people that I hire, but it's just, I wouldn't look for soul feedback. Like I should look for that from friends and and neighbors and my spouse. So I thought, I always thought that was, and then I guess kind of the idea that like the rules don't apply, like the old rules don't apply. You don't have to kind of hate your job, kind of be miserable, eventually retire to Florida. Like I, you know, there's like piles of opportunity online, just tons of opportunity. Like the internet has barely started. Yeah. There's so much opportunity left. And most people act like, oh, I missed the, some big boom or it's too late. It's not like it's, we've barely begun. I think I heard Boris Johnson say a couple of years ago in a speech or an interview that if you look at the internet today, it's the size of a golf ball, and 20 years from now, it'll be the size of the sun. And yeah. uh, that's, a, that's an inter- I don't know whether Boris Johnson is an expert on the internet or not, but it's an interesting concept. And you start yeah. to read some of the stuff in AI or singularity or like e- evolving industry and how that's shifting. And yeah. it's just like, it's mind bending, John. You're right. Yeah, These are early days. Oh, um, you totally. give a lot of advice to people, to leaders, to uh, what is some of the best advice you're giving these days? If you're like, oh, I get asked this all the time and uh, I love telling people X. Okay. Well, I know a lot of pastors listen to this podcast, so I would beg them, don't waste the first minute of your speech by saying mm. hello, to, hello to other campuses. That is such a dumb thing to do. I read um, your piece on that, drill down, because so we all the, do the it. Two- the two most important minutes are the first minute and the last minute. And a lot of times a pastor will reintroduce himself, um, will say like, Hey, here's who I am. Or she'll make announcements or like say hi to every campus that's there. And I always joke with our pastors, like we now do God behind bars and an online campus. So it's like nine things long. Like by the time you get to it, you're like, if you're watching this, 
on a data chip after the zombie apocalypse, like get to high ground, don't trust a water source. Like <laughs> it's just so long. And so I'm not against you saying hi to those campuses. I just want you to do it in the middle. So right. like, I want pastors to be deliberate about the ROI of what they're doing is possibly derailing the sermon to say hi to a video campus worth it. Cause I go to a video campus, Carrie. I've never mm -hmm. once sat in there and been like, I can't believe they didn't say hi. They didn't like, say hi. We're leaving this church. I've never once seen anyone go, oh, thank goodness. They said they know we're watching. Like, this is amazing. <laughs> like, I love Jesus now. And so the ROI is not worth it. What you lose is way bigger than what you gain. And so I, you know, and then I'd also ask why you're doing it. I would argue pastors that do it are doing it because popular pastors did it first and they're just copying it. There's do you think no it's a, a hangover from 10 years ago when video was novel? 100%. There's no yeah. rule that they're teaching in seminary that's like, hey, the best thing to do. And then how I compare it is this. I'll go, when you go see you 2 do they come out and go, hi, uh, my name's Bono. It's really Paul, but it's so great to be here. <laughs> so thankful for the opening act. And if you're watching this on a DVD later, like, we're so thankful you bought the DVD. Like, no, they start <laughs> with a moment. Now, that's not to say your moment will be as big as a U2 concert, obviously. But I'd rather mm -hmm. you start with a story that makes me lean in versus a laundry list of hellos to other campuses. So just start. You know, I was thinking about that because it's very convicting. I don't know. You wrote that this summer. So it was very convicting to me when I read that. It popped into my inbox because I subscribe to and uh, and we do that, you know, and so I was guest preaching. I'm only doing it once this year, but I was at a friend's church in Toronto. I was guest preaching and I've been there before. So I wanted their name is C4. I wanted to say, do I say, hey, C4 Church or do I just start? And so by the way they introduced me, I got up and I said, hi, C4 Church. It's great to be back. Question for you. How many of you have been in love? Um, I should have just started with question. How for many you. of you have been in love? Yeah. How many of you have been in love? Hands up. That should, yeah. That's just a better you open. you can say hi in the middle. Like, I mean, right. one of my speeches I start with, I wish it was more difficult to buy a chainsaw. Like, and you go, where is this going? Like, yeah. that's, or like, you know, you start with a lean in line and it doesn't have to be dramatic and over the top because that can be fake. It just has mm. to make me want to know like, okay, well, what's the, what's the, you know, what's the next part of this? Or so Eve even more than an orienting statement, which a lot of us who still teach in series do, which is, hey, welcome to part three of a four-part series. You can put that, bury that a little bit later in like put paragraph three. Put that on minute three. three. Minute yeah. three, minute four. Yeah. Like you start with the story, make them interested. You haven't earned the right to tell them anything yet. Like mm. you haven't earned the right to tell me about your other campuses. I don't want to hear that. We don't have a relationship yet. I need you to go, Hey, here's something really interesting. I've earned the right. Same with a movie trailer. They never start the movie trailer and go, this is a movie. It's a romantic comedy. And it's got some people you like in it. Like, no, they start with a scene where the guy is at the airport and he's running to find his wife, like, or whatever it is. Yeah. If you, if you saw Star Wars 1, no, that, no they don't start similar. there. Yeah. This is the third part of a Star Wars series. We, if you're <laughs> unable to read the first two, like, I mean. Let me catch you up. And, but like they do, what's funny about Star Wars is that they do dramatically tell you information. They scroll that big thing, but it's still engaging. Like the mm. thing is scrolling up, you're in space, like there's music, it's at an angle, like you're still engaged even as they tell you information. And so, 
yeah, I tell pastors that all the time. And a lot of them just are like, yeah, that's whatever. I'm, I'm still going to mm-hmm. do it. Yeah, you're not a preacher. <laughs> but they'll tell me so-and-so does it at his church and it's worked out for him. And I, and I just go, fine, let's just go ahead and do it. I'm, you know. All right. You know what? You've convinced me. This is a good conversation. September, whole new day. By the time this airs, I will be experimenting. One convert. There you go. You got one. That's good advice. What's one question you wish someone would ask you that nobody ever asks you? Uh, I, I don't know how I'd answer that, but I just think it's a really interesting question. Um, I, you know, I do like the indulge, overindulge, underindulge question. I just think that's an interesting one. Um, I think a question like, what's made you laugh the hardest lately? Like, I think that's an interesting, that's a great question. Cause then you get to go, oh, my kids did this thing or, oh, there's this comedian or, oh, you know, like there's this situation and it forces you to, you know, go, okay, what, you know, or, you know, what, what's the best question you've heard lately? Like hmm. there's this book called instant influence. Um, yeah, that's really, have you ever read it? Mm-mm. No. So like, it's brilliant. And the whole thing, like he basically just tells you how to kind of talk to people that you're trying to influence in a, in a fair way, not manipulative, but he does this thing where he says like, Carrie, say I'm trying to get you to, um, I don't know, go in for a medical test. Yeah. And I go, so what I'd say to you is, on a scale of one to 10, how likely are you, are you to do it? And you'd probably go, I'm a three. Right. And then what I'd say instead is, why didn't you pick a lower number? And that shocks people. They think yeah. you're going to go, why didn't you go higher? And what he argues, which is brilliant, is that when you tell somebody, why don't you want to do it? It forces them to brainstorm extra negativity. When I ask you, why didn't you pick a lower number? You figure out brainstorming positive things. So you go, brilliant. Well, my dad suffered with that and I've always thought that maybe I should do it. And like, it totally changes the whole They talk themselves into it. I can yeah, see it. You're right. Yeah. So like, so uh, what's the best question you've heard lately? Like, so you're, yeah, you're not, you're not going to study for the exam. Why don't you just drop out? Yeah. Why yeah, didn't like, you just drop out? It's in, your, it's in your power. It's in your control. Like, why do you keep going? Like, if you don't like it, why are you keeping, you know, why do you keep going? And they brainstorm positive things versus, why don't you want to get good grades? Why don't you want to like, <laughs> it's so simple. I just thought that was brilliant. Bingo, bingo. So uh, what's the best question you've heard lately? And what is the thing that's made you laugh the hardest? I don't know. Probably, probably my kids, like the things they say um, are really funny. The way they kind of look at the world um, I, that or like just conversations with Jenny. Um, hmm. And then like comedy wise, Nate Bargatze is really funny. Like I've he been listening good. to his comedy and like he cracks me up. Um, or like I saw a tweet the other day. Somebody did. I thought it was perfect. They said, please keep me in your thoughts and prayers. Nothing is wrong. I'm just a narcissist. And I thought, <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Like that's amazing. That's good. Right? That, that is good. And that's like half the internet right now. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Uh, John, this has been a lot of fun. Anything else that you want to share with uh, leaders before we let you go today? This has been so rich. Great yeah, conversation. I just, you know, I, I think uh, my hope is that finishes a good book for leaders because it's an act, it's like a fun, practical, research-based way to get your team to finish more. I, I still haven't yeah. met a leader. I still haven't met a leader who says to me, my people finish too much or... <laughs> 
our, our team wouldn't be improved by more complete goals or our church yeah. wouldn't do better or our company. And so I really feel like it's a, it's an issue that's only going to get harder. And I hope this makes it easier. Well, it's available today and where they can find that on Amazon. It's simply called finish, right? Yeah. Amazon it's, it's available everywhere, hopefully. So yeah. And where can they find you online? I'm um, just acuff.me. Um, so acuff.me. And then like we mentioned the list, I do a bunch of lists. It's just, I'm a slash guy. So it's acuff.me slash writers or acuff.me slash speakers. And so the whole concept is once a week, I send out um, the most valuable idea I've learned that week about being a public speaker or writing and, um, or parenting acuff.me slash parents. Um, and so, yeah, check it out. That's great. All right, John, thanks so much once again and looking forward to hanging out this fall. Yeah, th- I'm gonna, I got to go uh, put on this carbon uh, water bottle holder on my bike. So pretty excited. <laughs> this is really, really big stuff. It's going <laughs> to be a lot faster. <laughs> One of my favorite aspects of leadership is just figuring out how people do what they do. And I love that John made lots of time available and we got to have that conversation. Plus, I know you're going to want to finish what you start. So check out John's new book, Finish. It releases today. It's available today. You can get everything we talked about in the show notes, just carrynewhoff.com slash episode 157 or leadlikeneverbefore.com and just click on blog and you'll see the show notes there for uh, John. In those show notes, you'll also see all the links to my social media, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, where you can win free Starbucks every single day for a week. I can't wait to see who wins, and I'm so excited for that. And remember the grand prize, too. If you want to get all of my books and my two courses, uh, one of which it releases next week, actually, Breaking 200 Without Breaking You, the other one, The High Impact Leader, we'll give that all away for free. So for the next seven days until September 19th, 2017, just leave a comment on these show notes, episode 157, and tell us why you want to win the prize pack. Love to get to know you. Our team's going to pick a winner next Tuesday, the 19th. And uh, hey, I hope it's you. Thank you so much for making this such an incredible journey so far. The best is yet to come. And well, why don't we do this again next week? I'm back with Kara Powell. Kara is going to talk to us about why churches sometimes don't do a very good job of reaching people under 40. And here's an excerpt from that conversation. And we identified six core commitments. One of them we've already touched on, and that is the importance of relationship. But we also were identified, we're able to, to unpack, you know, what makes a leader most effective with young people today? What kind of teaching is most effective with young people today? How do you need to prioritize young people? What does service and, and neighboring well mm-hmm. look like with young people today? And so, you know, these lessons that we learned from these 250 churches that are growing young, the good news is we've seen in the last year that they're relevant to a church of really any size, any complexion. Uh, it's never too late to start taking baby steps or large steps to be more effective with young people. So that's next week. And I do a little bit of a deep dive with Kara, too, about how she makes it all happen as a mom, academic, speaker, author, volunteer at her church. Like, how does how does she keep all those balls in the air? Uh, fascinating answer. And then next Tuesday, it's uh, the release of the Breaking 200 course. So excited for that. If you haven't jumped in on the wait list, there is one. Go to breaking200withoutbreakingyou.com and uh, you can be the first to get some bonuses and also uh, be right in on the ground floor on launch day. Super excited for that as we try to help churches break the barrier that 85% of churches never break through. That's the 200 barrier. 
Hey guys, thank you so much for making this such a, a great, great, great uh, three years. And the best is yet to come. Can't wait for next Tuesday. If you subscribe, you get it all automatically and we will talk to you then. I really do hope our time together today has helped you lead like never before. You've been listening to the Carrie Newhoff Leadership Podcast. Join us next time for more insights on leadership, change, and personal growth to help you lead like never before.